Hello, welcome to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. I'm Kevin Tips, and in the following message, we explore the idea of integrity. Looking at David and Psalm 15, we're going to explore together what integrity means. You know, we get access to the integrity of God's heart as his children, his wholeness, his truthfulness, his purity. But more than that, we also get to embody those things in and through our lives as well as we're transformed into his image. And so in this message, we explore together what integrity is, what it looks like in and through our lives, uh, and then most beautifully, what kind of blessings and benefits we get to receive and live in when our lives are fashioned and formed in integrity. And so I bless you as you listen to be encouraged and provoked and perhaps convicted to go on the journey with me to mature into even greater levels of integrity. So I bless you as you listen. I hope you enjoy. I love Kevin. Can we, yeah, I love Kevin. I just want to say I love Kevin. He's amazing. He's got a word for us today. Ah, he's amazing. Can you take this? Yes. Yes, awesome. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, guys. How are we? Good? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Uh, Is this the camera that I'm in? I want to say one thing to those that are in the overflow, but especially those that are online. Um, You know, we, it's so humbling that the Lord uh, has not only established this house, we've all benefited from it, but I know there are people joining all over the planet. There are small house churches and houses of prayer and nations all over the world. And I just want to personally ask you, would you help us? Would you give as well? Um, If we've been a blessing to you, if you've benefited in any way from what the Lord is doing here, then um, we want your help. And we uh, we don't need it, but we want it. We want you to partner with us. And so if you're watching, uh, jump on our website and give as well, because uh, what God does here is spilling out into the nations of the earth. Amen. All right. Uh, If you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 15 or pop open your phones, if that's your cup of tea. Uh, I'm very excited about what I'm hoping the Lord to do this morning. Uh, I know that no matter how, <laughs> um, how well I articulate truth today, uh, I can't do what is in my heart um, for God to do. I'm incapable of accomplishing the very thing that I deeply, deeply long for him to do in us today. But I also know, praise God, that I can't mess it up either. Um, And so uh, I want you to join me in prayer before we dive in. Um, And I want you, if you're open, if you'd extend your hands, um, I want you to pray with me to invite the Spirit of God um, to come with the beautiful gift of conviction. You see, God doesn't convict us to make us small. He convicts us to enter us into fullness and greatness. The conviction of the Spirit is so, so beautiful. It's it's the way that he imparts life 
into us. And so I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts this morning, as I have certainly been convicted myself as I've prepared. Um, but that's his business, and he alone can do that. And so if you would, don't just listen to me pray. Would you pray with me and ask the Spirit of God to do that in your heart? Because I believe he really wants to do something today that erects a monument in our hearts that actually we look back upon in years decades to come that was a turning point towards wholeness that will be life-changing. So, Father, we acknowledge your presence here, and we thank you for your nearness. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that because of your grace, we get to draw near, that we get to draw near not only to behold your beauty, to look at you, but to be changed by you to be conformed into the same image, the same beauty that you alone have. Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister to our hearts today. Would you come with truth and mercy? Would you convict our hearts, Lord, that we would step up and into greater fullness and life as we are obedient to your word and obedient to your voice? Would you open our ears to hear, Lord, any gunk that's built up because of familiarity, remove it. Any sluggishness in mind, heart, and soul, would you quicken and awaken in the name of Jesus? Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive? Lord, we want to be changed today. We want to be changed. So change us and help me. <laughs> Help, help, help. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I want to give you, as you are um, sitting with your Bibles open, I want to give you a little bit of landscape around what led up to this message. And uh, if you pop on any kind of streaming platform right now, uh, it won't take you very long to find uh, documentaries or docu-series outlining and exposing Christian men, women, movement, churches for duplicity, for hiddenness, for sin. And I can remember, oh man, I don't know, it was maybe a year ago, there was um, a, a very visible leader in the body of Christ who very publicly was exposed and it was on the news and um, I remember during a staff huddle, which kind of we do at the very kickoff of, of each week as a team to pray for our week and just to connect together. Um, you know, we all kind of came in just a little bewildered, like, goodness gracious, this person in some ways has, you know, uh, influenced so many of us. And, um, you know, you, there's, there's shock and it's disorienting, right, when exposure happens. It, it kind of shakes things a little bit. And so that was kind of in our hearts. And I remember telling the team, you know, first and foremost, we need to be very weary that we don't jump on the cultural bandwagon in reaction to fear or the arrogance of superiority and jump in on carnal judgment. 
but instead we need to pray for this person. We need to bless them and ask for both the mercy and truth, what the scripture says, purges iniquity, to fall mightily upon them. They would be restored and that God would be glorified in that story. So we need to pray and bless them. And we did. But beyond that, I also exhorted the team, listen, it is, it's a temptation when the spotlight is on someone else to add to it. When in all actuality, when the spotlight is on someone else, there's invitation to turn that spotlight upon ourselves. Because people don't find themselves in gross duplicity and sin and deception with a soul of a chameleon overnight. These tragic circumstances happen over a period of time through very small, it begins with very small, seemingly benign compromises, stretching the truth just a little bit, morphing just a little bit to craft a public image that's just a little different than our private reality. But over time, that chasm grows, and it becomes larger and larger of the us that is the real us, the real stuff that we're dealing with, the real things that we're struggling with versus the us that we present to the world. And it is only a matter of time before we fall into the pit of that chasm. And God in his mercy shines a light on us and exposes us. That is a merciful thing. But there's opportunity in light of someone else's failure and exposure to look at where we are already operating in similar ways in small fractions. And if you scale back, whether it's grievous financial practices, self-promotion, egotistical ambition, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you name it, the symptoms are all different and varied, but the core root is the same. It is a lack of integrity. And we live in an age where opinions are rampant, but integrity is lacking. It is so easy to find a platform that is filtered and curated and manufactured, and it's becoming harder and harder to discern what is real. And I think because of all of the public stuff, prominent leaders, big churches that have influenced generations who have done beautiful things and imparted beautiful truths to the body of Christ, but because of these significant failures and exposure, the world is looking at us with a microscope. And they're asking the question is, are you guys really who you say that you are? Or are you using the privilege that you have to promote yourselves, to exploit others, to garner power, prestige, and riches? Are you guys the real deal or not? And I... <laughs> I want to be the real deal. And I want us to be the real deal. I want to be a house that's known not just for the manifest presence of God, but the presence of integrity among the people. That when upper rumors are out eating dinner at Applebee's, I don't know who goes to Applebee's anymore. 
haven't been to Applebee's. So I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Dinner at Applebee's. In line at Whole Foods. In the workplace. Out with friends on a Friday night. That we as a community are known for our sincerity of heart. That we're known for our truthfulness, our consistency, our reliability, our dependability, our willingness to sacrifice our own wants and desires to benefit someone else, our generosity, not just of our stuff, but our very selves. I want to be a house that is ever growing into integrity. And so today we're going to look at that. What does it mean to be marked by integrity? What does it mean to live a life that is saturated with integrity? Not only what does it mean, but what are the benefits and blessings that we get to receive as we allow the Spirit of God to conform within us the same integrity that is in the very heart of God? And so I want to start by reading Psalm 15. And uh, I love that Psalm 15 starts off, actually before verse 1, as a psalm of David. I like that all psalms aren't necessarily psalms that David penned. But this one is. It's a psalm of David. And I find that very, very comforting. <laughs> because David was a man of integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that wanted his heart to look like God's. And yet we know through David's life that he was not a man of perfection. So lesson number one is that walking in integrity is not walking in perfection. It is not walking without weakness, failure, or even occasionally the presence of sin. But what made David a man after God's own heart was his honesty. That he was a man that knew the grace and mercy in the heart of God that actually liberated him to access places in the heart of God that others didn't. It was the honesty in David's heart that was the birthplace and really the foundation for his integrity. And we're going to go there in a minute. But he starts off by asking two questions. I'm going to read through, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, but you can follow along in any translation. And he says, O oh Lord, who's, who shall sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. That word blamelessly is the Hebrew word for integrity. It's most often translated blameless, but it is integrity. He who walks in integrity and does what is right, and speaks truth from his heart. He describes such a person next. He says, who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. That word vile um, is retrobate. It's not just someone who doesn't know God, or someone who's struggling with sin. It's someone who willfully, deliberately hates God and wants nothing to do with him, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. 
who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change, meaning who says they'll do what they said they'll do, when and how they said they'll do it, even at great personal cost and sacrifice, who does not put out his money at interest, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, uh-oh, and does not take up a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved, or some other translations say shall never be shaken. All right, so I want to start by looking at those two questions that David answers, or asks. Well, he does answer it as well, but he asks it first. Who, O Lord, can sojourn in your tent? That language was peculiar to me when I first looked at it. Because when we think of sojourning, what that means is to go on a journey, right? If we're sojourning, we're moving. We're on a journey. We're nomadic. We're going from one place to the next place to the next place. And so to sojourn within a tent is bizarre. Because what are you going to do? Just walk in circles in the 10 foot by 10 foot radius of the tent? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is this. We know that that tent that he's referring to was the tent of meeting. It was the very place where the leaders of Israel got to come in to the very manifest presence of God to inquire of the Lord, to meet with God, to hear and experience him for themselves and to receive strategy and grace to lead Israel both in war and in growing their territory. But this tent of meeting is interesting because though we get the privilege in the new covenant of establishing, as Julian said, geographical resting places for the Lord that become strongholds of a habitation of God that benefit the people that come in, but also the city around it, the state, the nation, the nations. This is such an honor that we get to partner with the desire of God to find habitation on the earth, to to build a form of the garden in our midst that we lost because of Adam. That's amazing. But God told me once when we were in a study of Psalm 132 that God only rests in places where he's already resting on people. And see, this is what David is saying, is he's saying, oh Lord, who can sojourn in your tent? Meaning, who can cultivate a heart posture and a lifestyle that regardless of what you're facing, triumph or trial, lack or abundance, success, victory, promotion, where the spotlight is shining on you, or you are walking through the shadow of the valley of death, who is the one that can walk in such a way that they never leave the tent of meeting, that actually as they sojourn, the tent of the habitation of God goes with them wherever they go, that we become living habitations of God. Who is such a person that can dwell perpetually, experientially in the presence of God? Who is such a one? And he answers the question, the one who lives in integrity and speaks truth in his heart. And so if we want to build a resting place, it starts with us. It starts with you. And it starts with our awareness of our need to grow more integrous before God and before people. And so I want to spend some time defining what is integrity. Um, Because I'm sure there's probably a thousand different 
ideas that come to mind. I kind of pulled some of the staff and friends, and uh, everybody gave me a different answer. So I want to um, define it for us in some specific ways. Cool? Okie doke. So integrity. <clears throat> the concept of integrity from the Old Testament, as I said, it's, it's often translated blameless. Um, but it, it is blameless integrity. They're synonymous. Um, is the concept of wholeness. To walk in integrity is to walk in wholeness. What that means to me is that when we operate from integrity, it has everything to do with who we are. It has a lot to do with what we say and what we do, and we'll get there in a little bit. But first and foremost, integrity is not something that we add to our life, but in fact, is the birthplace for all that life flows out of, that we are operating out of wholeness, that our lives aren't segregated and compartmentalized, that we're not one way around one group of people and a different way around a different group, but we're actually operating in the fullness of who we are at all times. We don't have the soul of a chameleon that's learned how to manipulate other people to garner their respect, to get value, to get esteem, to climb the corporate ladder, to get friends, to get likes on whatever social media is popular now. But we actually, at all times and all ways, are simply who we are. See, this is the beautiful thing about wholeness. We've been singing about it all morning, the love of God. And I want to tell you that God doesn't love parts. He loves you. God doesn't love parts of you. He doesn't just love the good parts of you. The pretty parts of you. He loves you. And he can only lavish the fullness of his love experientially on the real you. And I wonder sometimes how many of us are wandering through life with a tangible wilderness of his presence because we're refusing to come to the table as we are, thinking that God only tolerates us because of the cross and the parts that he welcomes are the pretty ones. When I feel like Jesus is standing over each one of us with the same heart posture that he did over Jerusalem in compassion and in longing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you together to make you one, but you wouldn't have it. You're refusing it. And so I want to tell you today that the whole of who you are, good, bad, and ugly, every detail of your story, every mistake, failure, funky attitude, <laughs> bad behavior, God loves you. He loves you right now, today. Let me tell you, I had an encounter with the Lord. I grew up Lutheran, so <laughs> manifest presence was not kind of a thing in that camp at the time. Um, but I had a supernatural encounter where um, the love of God was made manifest. I was in seventh grade. And, um, you know, it was one of those moments. It, 
it's never happened since in this way, but it was the liquid love. I was saturated. <laughs> I was saturated in the love of God. It, like, I was short-circuited. Oh, I short-circuited. I was undone. My body, I just couldn't handle it. And I was filled with the Spirit and so aware of the embrace of God physically. And though I'm so grateful for that experience, the value of that experience to this day is this, that even on my worst days, when I act like a (laughs) dum-dum and I'm not living up to the full stature of the fullness of Christ, he saw that day as real and full as that day that he lavished his love upon me. And in the absence of the feeling, the reality is still there. And so I want to tell you if, you, if you're in the room or you're watching and you're kind of, you recollect the times when you felt so aware of the presence of God, so aware of his love, and it's kind of like a highlight in your history, I want to tell you that that reality is still the same because he doesn't change. And if he lavished his love on you then, he's still lavishing it on you now, regardless of what you got going on. So be strengthened. Wholeness is not the absence of weakness. It's the presence of honesty. Wholeness is not the absence of weakness. It's the presence of honesty. When we look at David, a man after God's own heart, the epitome of integrity. We look at a man who faked mental illness to get out of stuff, a man who raped a woman and committed adultery, a man who killed a guy or had a guy killed. This man, like these are like A-list sins, you know? Like these are like, like if, if a prominent church leader did what David did, cancel culture would kick him out of the nest and no one would associate with him. And yet this is the man who God says was after his own heart. David's integrity was not an absence of weakness or even at times the presence of sin, but what made him integrous was his honesty before God, his humility of heart, his awareness of his need for God's mercy and grace. This is what makes us integrous. We see integrity in the heart of God in this. In Deuteronomy 6.4, he discloses himself to Israel in this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Of course, we know that what he was telling Israel in part was, hey, there's no other gods. All these other nations are building junk out of stone and wood, crafted after their own image. It's rubbish. That's bunk. It's a lie. They don't exist. They're made up. (laughs) I am the one true living God. There is no other beside me, with me. It is me and me alone who's created you and created all things. I am the one living God. Of course, we know that. We know that in the nature of God, as evangelicals, that God is one God, but eternally existent in this mystery of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, distinct in persons, yet one in essence and character and nature. And this is a profound mystery 
That's going to be such a trip, isn't it, when we get to see him unveiled fully? Man. Yeah. But I like to do a thing where I like to, I like to mine the treasures. Um, I don't want to go a mile wide and an inch deep when it comes to the things of the Lord. I want to go down deep into those things, those secrets that are reserved for those that are willing to search them out. And so I do that by um, kind of an exercise where in prayer in the Bible, I'll go, okay, if that's true, then this is true. Well, if that's true, then this is true. And if that's true, this is true, and this is true. And you find that when you do that, you begin to expand your brain by the grace of God expands and you're able to see him more fully beyond just the surface of what he says and reveals to the deeper things. And as I did that with this scripture a long, long time ago, I began to get awakened to his holiness, the integrity, the wholeness in the heart of God that makes him completely unlike us. See, because the Lord is one, meaning that he is the full expression of the totality of all that he is at all times, in every way, always. We can't even begin to grasp what that means because we're not like that. We're a mixed bag of nature and nurture, experiences, beliefs, ideas, and opinions. We are knit together, created things. He is the ever-existing one from everlasting to everlasting, fully expressing wholeness, whole love, wrath, joy, long-suffering, grace, mercy, kindness, justice, you name it. He is fully expressing in the manifold wisdom of who he is at all times, in all ways. We can't even like, ah, it's like we'd explode. But if, if you think... Oh my goodness, if you got bored during the hour of worship, which was for him, not for us, <laughs> though we get to benefit <laughs> because we're made to worship, we're fulfilling our birthright when we do so. But if you got bored <laughs> or the concept of eternity before God worshiping sounds like, okay, maybe after a millennia, but a couple millennia is in, like, come on, man, then I would tell you, you have a very inaccurate and small view of God. Because the truth is, is that in his manifold expression of the fullness of his integrity, his wholeness, he is ever unveiling all that he is in every way, always. He is fascinating, never changing, but always unfolding his nature and his character. We will never tire of that kind of beauty because we can't even begin to fathom that kind of beauty. There's no earthly comparison that he's even worth making. It's a mystery, and one day, one day, we're gonna see with our eyes that one who's full of integrity, full of wholeness. I look for this in both leaders that I follow and also leaders that I appoint and hire and position. I look for people who are whole, that are not playing parts 
and not just showing up with smiles on their faces and giving their best foot forward, but people who are honest. I trust these kind of people. I want to take the opportunity um, and testify and also honor Michael and Larissa. I, yeah, I get, you know, I get a seat that many others don't, and I get to watch them navigate things, <laughs> hard things. Um, and I also get to see them in fun, just like casual settings. And I want to tell you the truth. They are who they present themselves to be. And what that means is they, what the best of what you see of them <laughs> when they're here holding a microphone <laughs> is true of them when you're at their dinner table, when you run into them at Whole Foods, when you're at a birthday party. They are who they say they are. But one reason that I trust them and deeply, deeply respect and admire them is because they're not, they don't withhold their weakness either. They don't pretend like they don't have it. And their safety in following leaders who limp like that, who are unafraid, who are so confident in the grace and mercy of God that they can lead wholeheartedly pointing to the standard that the scriptures lay out for us, but also don't pretend to not have human frailty, right? Look for these kinds of people. Follow these kinds of people. Be discipled by these kinds of people. If somebody is presenting themselves as a spiritual authority, and acting so spiritual that they seem like they just float through life, be weary. Be weary because they're hiding things. That's not real. We have access to fullness like we can't imagine. We've scratched the surface. There's a whole lot more. I don't want to diminish that. But we never are transformed out of being human. God became human so that we might be fully human, not something else, right? And as humans, we have weakness, and that's okay. That's no threat. So look for people who are whole. Integrity is operating from the wholeness of who we are, but it's also operating in authenticity and in truthfulness of what we say. It's not presenting ourselves in ways that are inauthentic and inaccurate. Not that we're flat out lying or pretending, but we're just denying little things. We're hiding little. We keep parts of ourselves for certain crowds that we know we can get away with some stuff. But then in other crowds, we are something else. When I was looking at this, I think it's Matthew 23, somewhere around there, mid-20s. Mid Jesus goes on, uh, a tirade against the Pharisees and the scribes that sounds like this. Woe to you hypocrites for blah, blah, blah. Woe to you hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. And when I was reading through that, I was like, man, I wonder where the word hypocrite came from. And I want to tell you, I, in my study, I, I found this. And it's, um, man, it's, it's interesting, the parallel now because of social media, but um, the word uh, hypocrite derives from uh, a Greek word. Uh, I may be butchering it. It's um, hypocritos, or as Texans would say, hypocritos, right? <laughs> hypocritos. In first century Greece, think of Homer, 
uh, Iliad, Odyssey, you know, Greek tragedy and plays. Actors, I don't know if it was for lack of talent or interest, I don't know, but um, actors would play multiple parts in a play. And so they would wear these clay masks to signify which character they were playing at any given time. And so they'd be doing their monologue as one character, and then they'd run back and put a different mask on and come out, and that would signify to the audience, okay, now you're someone else. And they were called hypocritos, which just simply means stage performer or stage actor. And from that word, hypocritos, over time, we get the word hypocrite, which is someone that doesn't literally put on a mask and pretend to be a different character, but certainly is masking their life in such a way that is inauthentic. And though we are not actors in the first century Greece, because of the varied avenues that are available to us to filter ourselves in social media, to present a curated version of ourselves, our clay masks are no longer made of earth. They're digital. They're online. And we look, we not only deceive others in presenting an image to the world that is not the full image, but we deceive ourselves in thinking that all that's real too. And so that image of being two-faced stuck out to me. You know, in the Old Testament, the word um, for presence, the presence of God, is the word panim. Uh, it's, it's face. And more specifically, it's not just the physical face, but it's the countenance of one's face, meaning that the inward things that are unseen are manifested through one's countenance. If you know somebody who's really going through a hard time, they're struggling, you can see it, right? When someone's at ease, they have joy, they're calm, you can see it, right? Those, to look, those that look to him are radiant, right? But here's the truth of the matter. When we don't operate in integrity and we choose rather to save face, to protect our image and reputation, to conjure up an image that isn't authentic and real. By saving our own face, we deny ourselves access to his. Why? Not because God's cruel, not because he's demanding, but because he's not going to reward a lie because that would only lead you into greater deception and death. Again, God can only encounter you, the real you, not the mask, not the filter, not the part, you. And I tell you, he deeply longs to do so. I, I learned this. <laughs> I didn't learn it. I was exposed in it in a way. I'm going to tell you some stories about my life. This is going to be my ask, because as a leader, I not only want to lay forth the standard, but I also want to be, as Paul says, a living epistle read by all men, right? And so <laughs> there is great value in not only saying, hey, here's the truth, but also disclose the process. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you some stories, and my only ask is that you not assess me today for stories that I'm telling you from over a decade ago. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> I have been changed by the blood of the Lamb. 
but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm still in process, too. There's still some junk in there. <laughs> Let me tell you. But <laughs> if you only knew, my wife is watching, and I'm like, she's like, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have been changed, but I want to tell you stories because it's helpful. Um, so I encountered the Lord in 2012. I grew up loving Jesus, but because of an ever-growing chasm of duplicity that grew over time, eventually I got exposed. I got kicked out of church, enacted church discipline, denied fellowship, participation, and communion. I was out of the nest, right? And head first into the Hot Mess Express, which I lived in for six years. Survived it, praise God, thank you for your grace and mercy that covered me in that time. But I had a radical encounter in 2012. I've shared the story a lot, so I'm not gonna share it again, but it was holy and amazing, and I'm so grateful for the one who goes after the one. And he came after me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, okay, so I encountered the Lord, and in that moment, there was so much that got burned right side up. I mean, I went from like, like stumbling through life to like, whoa, I see crystal clear. This is crazy. But I still had a process of a lot of unlearning and a lot of undoing to do. And so my zeal for Jesus, birthed in the zeal that I encountered in his heart for me, um, was very real. I wanted Jesus. I wanted to pursue him. I wanted to know him. But I still really liked getting drunk, going to the club, smoking cigarettes, and acting like a fool. And so though my foot wasn't firmly in that world, I'd still had a couple toes in it, okay? So I come to the upper room. I'm 29. I'm in a discipleship program, and I turned 30 during this time. And in my, on my 30th birthday, a friend who I will not out but is in the room <laughs> threw me a surprise birthday party. And I'm really good at telling when surprises are about to happen, but this one caught me off guard. And so I'm walking up steps to go to the rooftop at sundown on Granada in Lower Greenville. And I walk to the top of the stairs to hear this shout of, surprise! And I'm like, whoa, I normally always know this is going to happen. I'm actually authentically surprised. And then I scan the crowd. And I see the guy that I'm in discipleship class with next to my friend who's a stripper mixed in with a bunch of my gay friends and other church people. And I, my heart, fell into my guts. And I, I froze. <laughs> because all of a sudden, the two different worlds and the two different me's were all in one place. And I was like, which me am I? Which me am I? <laughs> which me am I right now? <laughs> and so you know what I did? I left my party, went downstairs, and sat at the bar by myself. Because <laughs> I couldn't take it. I didn't know how to be. And the truth is, I got really frustrated with my friend because I thought, 
how on earth, why on earth would you invite such a mixed crowd? My God, what are you trying to torture me? And I got frustrated at being forced to be in this position when in all actuality, what was being exposed was my hypocrisy. My friend wasn't on blast. My worldly friends weren't on blast. I was on blast. In that moment, I came face to face with, I'm not the same. There's parts of me that transcend both camps, but I am not the same. This is a problem. (laughs) This is a problem. And so it began a process of me begging God, I need you to make me whole. I actually am a little scared. I love you, but I'm kind of scared to mention you to certain friends. I'm kind of scared to like, I don't know how to be in certain scenarios. And you know, for me, what it took was I had to walk away from some friendships. That was hard. And it wasn't because they were so corrupting. It was because I was that weak. It wasn't about them. It was about me. I needed to step aside because I couldn't be with them in situations, in scenarios. The hooks were too fresh in my soul, and I would have been looped into duplicity that actually, if I had continued on in, I would have gone round the mountain and ended up in the same place I did in 2006, right? And so it was costly, but I had to separate for a season in order for integrity and authenticity to be established so that I could actually show up as me, the real me, at all times and in all ways. I'm still growing into it, but it's, I'm growing. Again, remember, it's not perfection he's after, it's honesty. It's not perfection, it's honesty. Something I tell USM students, I tell my team a lot, is that owning, being authentic, is not just owning our strengths. There's a lot of talk in the world and in the church about honing your strengths, identifying your calling, growing in your giftings. That's fine. That's good. I don't, I'm not diminishing that. We should grow in, as stewards of what God's entrusted to us by way of gifts, stewardship, you name it. But I want to tell you another way that we live in authenticity and actually grow into the will of God for our lives is by ownership of our limitations. You have God-given, ordained, divine limits to your personhood. That is just the truth. These are not meant to be overcome. They don't need to be transformed. They are there on purpose to help you fully identify and walk in what God's called you to walk in. I'm not talking about sin hangups, but there is natural limitations to your body, to your intellect, to your capacity, to your ability to communicate or not. (laughs) There are limits that God has placed divinely as he knit you together that are beautiful. Limitations aren't bad. They're God-given. And actually, if we lean into ownership, not just of what is strong about us, but what's weak and limited about us, we not only identify the will of God for our lives, because both are like two hedges on the narrow way that keep us walking into what God's ordained for our lives, but it's actually an ownership of our weakness that we're positioned to be the body I'm bad at celebrating people. (laughs) I'm really bad at it. I'm a notorious gap seer. 
I show me a person, a situation, an organization, anyone that works here close to me knows that's true. <laughs> My wife knows it's true. I'm a gap seer. I, I don't mean it critically, I just, it's how I see things. Which means, by default, I really suck at celebrating people. It does not come naturally, I am not good at it. And yet, as I become aware of this, there are amazing celebrators all around me. Beth Guajardo is one of them. Javanna Charrington, our women's pastor, is one of them. And I was able to go, I don't know, it was like a year ago or so, and I was like, yo, I am horrible at celebrating people. I don't think to do it. I don't think about it. I miss opportunities all the time to do it. You're so good at this. I walk back into our kids' hallway during uh, UR Academy, and the teachers, there's always like food back there and banners. And they're celebrating something all the time. There's a party back there. There's so much joy in life. And I'm like, I want my world to be surrounded like that. Um, and so in my limitation, my weakness, I get to go and say, hey, let me glean from you. I want to learn from you. I'm bad at this, but you're good at this. And the bond of love is established, and we get to grow up in, as the body in our limitations. And so um, stop trying to overcome what God put there and embrace it. Let it fuel you into his purposes for your life. So if integrity is wholeness in who we are, authenticity in what we say, it's also the purity of mo motive in what we do. Not just what we do, but why we do it. This is the tricky thing about motives. In Proverbs 16:2, it says, all of a person's ways seem pure to them, but the Lord examines their motives. So what does that mean? It means we don't know if our motives are pure or not. We can't know if our motives are pure, but we have full unadulterated access to the one who does. And we get to embody a, a habit of prayer where we come before the Lord and we ask him, Lord, search me like David, the man of integrity, the honest man. Lord, would you search me? I really long for this thing. I really want a ministry. I really want wealth. I really want influence here. I really want these things. I don't know if that's selfish ambition or from a pure place. I don't know, but you do. And I just ask you, would you search me? Would you try me? Would you see if there is any waywardness, crookedness, wickedness in me? And Lord, I ask you, man, make that sucker straight. If there's any impurity in my motivation, desire, or ambition, would you expose it or just cut it out of my life because I don't want it. I wanna operate in, but more importantly, from purity. This is so, he's able to do that. He's able to form purity in our hearts. James 4, 3 says, this is the New Living Translation, you want what you don't have, so you scheme to get it. You're jealous of others, but can't obtain what you long for, so you compare and fight among yourselves. You don't have because you don't ask, but when you ask, you still don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you receive on your own promotion. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And a friend a long, long time ago told me, because I was like, man, that feels like an impossible feat. How on earth? But I want to see God. And they were like, oh my gosh, you're looking at this wrong, Kev. Purity isn't the absence of mess. Purity just means honest. 
when you're honest before God, you'll see God. And when you see God, you'll start looking like God. That's how the Christian life works. We grow in purity of heart by progressively stewarding our motives, walking honestly before the Lord in our weakness so that his strength fills those places we're transformed into his image. I was doing a lot of prophetic ministry early on here at the Upper Room from the stage. I was prophesying publicly. There was a lot of fruit that was happening. People were getting saved, and I was really liking how valuable I felt because of it. It was subversive. I didn't really know it, but I was starting to wrap my identity around my functionality. It's a subversive thing that can happen. And uh, one day in, in the prayer room, the old building, out of nowhere, the Lord said, stop prophesying. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I rebuke you. Lord, rebuke you. That makes no sense. This ministry is fruitful. It's bearing fruit. That can't be the Lord. Again, Kevin, stop prophesying. Okay. Why? <laughs> Why? At the time, this is kind of ugly, but it was real. I was thinking, but I'm getting attention <laughs> because of this. And maybe that's going to be the way that I get into getting a position at the upper room. That's real, but it was there. You know what the Lord told me? <laughs> he said, I want you to stop prophesying. You're doing a good thing from the wrong place. You're concerned with prospering your ministry. I'm concerned with prospering you. I'm concerned with prospering you, and you can only prosper as your soul prospers. And what I didn't realize in that moment is that God was pruning something good so that my identity didn't get wrapped up in the goodness of it, so that as it was restored to bear even more fruit, I was free from the attention that it garnered free from the weight that it required. I was simply free to be me, entrusted with whatever gift, calling, and position that he gave me. And I'm so grateful for that. So if you are in a position where you feel like God has either circumstantially stripped or invited you to lay some things down that are good and don't make sense, it may very well be that he is wanting to prosper you, not just prosper it. And if you prosper we all prosper. So lay it down if he's asking you to lay it down. It doesn't need to make sense, and it doesn't need to feel good. He's able to resurrect even what dies. We can trust him. Okay, it's 12, so I'm gonna shift really quickly and wrap up, but what does integrity produce? So if it is wholeness in who we are, truthfulness in what we say, and purity in why we do what we do, what kind of benefit, what kind of uh, blessings are available for us as we lean into growing in integrity? Well, first and foremost, we get the blessing of rest for our souls. It is a lot of work to look over your shoulder and calculate which me do I need to be in this scenario? And then inevitably you run into somebody in a setting that you didn't expect that knows you in one way, but you're in a different form and you're like, I don't know, you know, like I did on my 30th birthday. It is a burden that we are not meant to carry. Duplicity 
is a burden. And it doesn't have to be like overt, gross sin. It can just be subtle. Like it shows up in this. How many times are we all guilty of someone saying, hey, would you pray for me, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, praying for you. And we never utter a word to God. <laughs> Hello, anyone else? Hello. We don't have to rend our garments and intercede for an hour. But are we walking in integrity? That's small. If we say you're going to pray, hey, I'm praying for you. Are you really? It can be as simple as, Lord, release mercy and grace in this situation. Bless my friend. They're going through it. Draw near to him, Lord. That's all that it is. But are we doing what we say that we do? It doesn't have to be like hidden sexual sin or something weird. It can be subtle. It's subtle. It's small ways. But we get rest for our souls when we're operating out of wholeness. We get the easy yoke that Jesus provides. We get to walk in shalom under the, the providential care of God, which is so good. Um, we also get the blessing uh, of, uh, of confidence before God and before others. When you know that God sees you and is pleased, not because you're doing everything right, but because his heart is fixed on you, there is a boldness that is instilled in you that makes you confident, both to shine and to be hidden. Man, if it is a very insecure thing to stand up here in front of hundreds of faces. Last night, uh, I kept being drawn to a couple of faces that were doing this. And I kept, I kept looking and I was like, what are they thinking? What are they talking about? What is going on? And I thought, well, it doesn't matter. That's, something's going on with them. My job is, Lord, are you pleased? Are you pleased? Did I honor you? Did I honor you in how I presented your truth and how I unveiled myself? Did I honor you? And if I did, then it's a win. Whether I get stink face or applause, doesn't matter. It really does not matter. It's the audience of one, as cliche as that is. Living in the delight of God, honestly before him, makes us confident. And lastly, living in integrity provides clarity for the moment and awareness of our inheritance. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the righteous guides him, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroy them. <clears throat> when we see God rightly and we unveil ourselves before him, Somehow in seeing him, we see things very clear. And even the things that we still don't see clearly somehow manage to not matter quite as much. But we, when we live in integrity, in the plumb line of truth of who we are and who God is, suddenly things just, the right way, the narrow way, just becomes a little bit more evident. And so if you're wrestling with indecision, you know, if you're feeling kind of tossed back and forth by the waves of circumstance, then I would propose to you that there's opportunity to look at the integrous heart of Jesus, to draw near, to step into authenticity before him and allow the clarity that comes from seeing him rightly inform the decisions that are before you or just wash away their importance altogether. Okay, <clears throat> well, I want to honor your time. Um, if Oscar, if you'd come up, wherever Oscar is to play, uh, if you'd stand with me. 
The truth is, uh, you're under no obligation whatsoever to respond. But the invitation to all of us is to. Because the truth is, is that we all have room to grow here. We all have room to grow here. And I wanna invite you to respond in one of three ways. In a moment, I'm gonna invite the ministry team up. And uh, if you have a secret, I wanna tell you, you are carrying something that is too heavy for you. Your soul is being crushed by its weight. Ephesians 5 says, what's brought into the light is made visible. That's the hard part. We're scared of things being made visible. But it doesn't end there. It says whatever's brought into the light is made visible. And what is made visible becomes light. And if you are harboring a secret, if your life has duplicity, if you have hang-ups, actions, behaviors, relationships, addictions that are not true to the very core of who you are, and you are a hypocritos, going from mask to mask to mask, you have opportunity today to step into the light. It's a brave thing, it's a costly thing, and it may require a process to walk through, but when you step into the light and are visible, there is an immediate lightness that comes upon you. The scripture says in James, when we confess one to another, we are healed. There is a healing of the heart just in the act of confessing our hiddenness to one another. And so I would implore you by the Spirit of God to be brave today, to bring that which is in darkness into the light, because what you're going to find is not only a face looking back at you and the person standing here that says, well done, that was brave. You're loved, but you're going to be positioned to receive the love of God in ways you can't while you remain hiding. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't have gross stuff. I hope a lot of us don't. But there is invitation to repent from those subtle discongruencies, from those subtleties of lack of wholeness, to turn away from the little bits of pretending and hiding that we're doing in minute ways, to turn towards Jesus and say, Lord, I ask you, would you give me wholeheartedness? I want a whole heart before you. Would you integrate the insides of me where there's fractures and differences and all that stuff? Would you, would you fortify me on the inside today? And maybe that's just something that you do with Jesus, you and him in your seat where you just confess like, Lord, yeah, I got a little bit of that going on. Or maybe I don't even know if I do. But if I do, would you expose it? Would you bring it to the surface in your mercy and make me whole? I want to be a man or woman of integrity.